Psalm 58. The subscription at the beginning is to the choir master, according to Do Not Destroy, a mictum of David. Scholars, for the most part, do not know what a mictum is, nor do I. You can't pick up one at Giant. Um, don't know. Although the, the, the speculation is that the word mictum means engraving, and the scholars speculate that it's a possibility that when David was hiding in the cave of Adullam from Saul and his advisors who wanted to kill him, um, he wrote many of the Psalms that he wrote in that cave, and some he engraved on the wall. And this certainly is the possibility that this might be one of them. So let us begin reading in verse 1. Do you indeed decree what is right, you gods? Do you judge the children of man uprightly? No. In your hearts you devise wrongs. Your hands deal out violence on earth. The wicked are estranged from the womb. They go astray from birth, speaking lies. They have venom like the venom of a serpent, like the death adder that stops its ear, so that it does not hear the voice of the charmers or of the cunning enchanter. O oh God! Break the teeth in their mouths, tear out the fangs of the young lions. O oh Lord, let them vanish like water that runs away. When he aims his arrows, let them be blunted. Let them be like the snail that dissolves into slime, like the stillborn child who never sees the sun. Sooner than your pots can feel the heat of thorns, whether green or ablaze, may he sweep them away. The righteous will rejoice when he sees the vengeance. He will bathe his feet in the blood of the wicked. Mankind will say, surely there is a reward for the righteous. Surely there is a God who judges on earth. Father, we thank you for your word, your living word that speaks to us, your authoritative word that has authority in our lives, your life-giving word that breathes hope into us and gives us breath, your word that instructs us, your word that helps us, your word that corrects us. Lord, these words are your words. And as we have read this psalm this morning, Lord, you are aware of some of the difficulty of this psalm. Please, by your spirit, bring illumination, bring revelation. May your, may your church benefit from your speaking through this psalm this morning. Lord, may you please help me to articulate the wonderful truths that, that lie hidden in this psalm. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. On July 11, 1937, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, who was a pastor who just a few years later was martyred for his faith for standing against Hitler, preached from this very psalm. It was, it was a bold sermon that instructed the church how to pray in the face of many Christians at that time being arrested by the Gestapo. Bonhoeffer courageously opposed the Nazi, the evil Nazi regime, but as he preached, he was also aware at the same time of his own sinfulness before God. He, he asked a question in the sermon, how, how then 
Should we who are, are guilty and who are ourselves deserving of God's wrath call down vengeance upon our enemies? It was, it was a dilemma for, for Bonhoeffer, and he wanted to help the church as he read this psalm, as he taught through this psalm, make sense of a psalm that seemed to be contrary to everything a Christian is taught in the New Testament. What New Testament verse do you hear that says, oh, God, break the teeth in their mouth. Oh, God, you know, do, do these things, tear out their fangs. Lord, oh, I love this one. Let them be like the snail that dissolves into slime. Let them, let them be like a slug that you pour salt on. That, that's what is being prayed here. And Bonhoeffer wanted to help his church make sense of a psalm that seems so contrary to everything a believer is taught. How could a Christian pray this psalm against the evil enemy of the church when he clearly understood how much evil was in his own heart? Are, are, the, are the psalms like this appropriate for believers today is, is the question. If understood correctly, though, it makes good sense why we can and why we should pray psalms like this one. Psalm 58 is known as an imprecatory psalm. An imprecatory psalm is a psalm of cursing. That is what an imprecatory psalm is. It's a, a, a cursing, a calling for God to, to judge the ungodly, and in this case, to, to judge unjust judges. It is a prayer that asks for God's violent overthrow of the wicked. Violent overthrow. Now, its content has troubled many Christians throughout the church age because they, they know the Psalms as prayers of comfort and prayers of encouragement in difficult times. And it's hard to reconcile asking God to destroy an enemy when, when Jesus forgave his enemies on the cross. He told us to love our enemies and pray for those who persecute us. So it's understandable why a Psalm like this has language that is so deeply disturbing. Marilyn uh, when, the, when Nora sent out the, the, you know, the outline for today and Marilyn read this psalm yesterday, we were sitting at dinner and she goes, what are you thinking? <laughs> You're going to preach this? this? Listen, this psalm was so offensive to the Church of England that in 1980, they banned it from their, their Book of Common Prayer. They banned the Word of God from their Book of Common Prayer because it was offensive to them. Many simply avoid psalms like this, but we, we must not, brothers and sisters. Rather, we must have a biblical view of how God approaches and how God addresses the wicked. David's prayer is, is not just about Old Testament judgment, but a biblical view that we see throughout the Bible, a biblical view that, that runs through every page of Scripture of God's judgment as well as God's wonderful mercy. It is not in any way contrary to the ethics of Jesus, who is both Savior and who is judge. We, we see that in, in 
that Jesus was not only Savior, but, but he was judge in Matthew 23. And he even quotes part of, of Psalm 58 in Matthew 23. You serpents, you brood of vipers, how are you to escape being sentenced to hell? And in Matthew 23, that's where you see the five woes that Jesus gives against the scribes and the Pharisees. In Romans 13, Paul uses similar, a same metaphor that David used in Psalm 58 when Paul was talking about the wickedness of humanity. Their throat is an open grave. They use their tongues to deceive. The venom of asps is under their lips. So you see that, that David's imprecatory prayer, this, this psalm of judgment, this psalm of asking God to do violence to the wicked, is not just reserved for the Old Testament. But we see it just in the words of Christ. We see it in the words of the apostles. Listen, judgment is not reserved only for the Old Testament. We, we see both judgment and grace in both Old and New Testaments. Every passage seeks to exalt both the mercy and the judgment of God for his glory. You see, judgment brings glory to God, just as mercy brings glory to God. His people... This is why David prays this prayer. His people, God's people, God's church, are called to preserve his honor, which is exactly what David is doing here and what Jesus is doing in the Gospels. In Galatians 1, 8 and 9, Paul writes this. He says, but even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be accursed. And he goes, as we have said before, so I now say again, if anyone is preaching a gospel contrary to the one you received, let him be accursed. Powerful, imprecatory words from the mouth, not of David in the Old Testament, but of Paul in the New Testament. Just like Paul in Galatians 1, David in Psalm 58, he asked the judge, God, to judge and punish the wicked so that God's honor might be upheld. Now, he's, he's not praying these words for his own personal vengeance, although David very well could have prayed for his own personal vengeance because these, these men, Saul, his advisors, were trying to put David to death. But for David to pray for vengeance upon his enemies would be contrary to the word of God and would be sinful. And so we know David is not praying for his own personal gain. He's praying to uphold the honor and glory of God's name because these wicked rulers were destroying Israel. They were destroying God's name. They were tarnishing God's name. In, and so Paul makes it clear it would be wrong to call God's curses down on his enemies for his own satisfaction, but not to call down curses to avenge the name of the Lord. In Romans 12, 19, Paul says, Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. So instead, we are, we are to imitate Jesus who has been so merciful to us. Paul says, to the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. We're to pray to protect God's glory, but not to satisfy our own personal desire for retaliation. But we could pray Psalm 58 for those who oppose the church, for those who oppose the gospel, for those who are trying to destroy and to silence the name of God. We can pray that prayer. 
But we're not to pray that prayer for our own personal satisfaction that this person at work just offended me and, oh God, break their teeth. Or the guy that you have to sit next to at work all the time, oh God, make him just disappear like slime. David wrote these words and he could write these words as the king, but not as a private citizen. He was God's representative king and judge who was called to protect God's honor, who who was called to bring righteous judgment upon those who opposed him because those who opposed David were opposing God. As private citizens, we, we can oppose evil that seeks to destroy the church because when people oppose you for being a Christian, they're opposing the Lord. If you remember in Acts 9 when Paul's on the road to Damascus and he gets knocked off his horse by this blinding light and he hears these words, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Well, Paul never met Jesus. Paul was persecuting the church. He was killing God's people. And so Jesus identifies with his church. Jesus identifies with us. And so when we are persecuted, when we are being opposed, they are opposing the Lord directly. And so that's why David can pray this prayer, because these men, these these advisors, these people, they are opposing the Lord. So let's look at David's prayer in Psalm 58. David, in verses 1 through 5, describes the deep-seated wickedness of sinful humanity. Verse 1, do you indeed decree what is right, you gods? Do you judge the children of man uprightly? Now, what was happening here, David is just witnessing, he's observing that that these men, these rulers, are, are... are being silent when the righteous, when those who are innocent, when those who are blameless, when those who are are just citizens are being, they're silent when they're being wrongly accused or they're being treated badly or they're, they're being slaughtered and these rulers remain silent. That's what David is, is railing against here in this imprecatory psalm. And then he goes on, no, in your hearts you devise wrong, your hands deal out violence on the earth. These, these rulers who remain silent when evil is perpetrated, they also devise evil schemes in their own hearts to enhance their, their power and personal gain. Now again, it's possible that David was referring to Saul and his advisors who had been seeking his life. It, and again, this appears this psalm was written while David was in the cave of Adullam all alone, fearing for his life. And Saul and his advisors have lied and slandered David to Saul which only fed Saul's hatred for David even more. But yet David does not take it personally because he sees that by opposing him, Saul is opposing God. Now, these these wicked men were men who, who were destroying their nation by their sin. That's what, that's what David is opposing. They, they oppose David, God's anointed, and, and so Opposing him, they oppose the Lord. And so David describes what kind of men these are. He wants the reader to know, hey, this is what you look for. This is what you see. This is the description 
of these men. And David not only describes what they are doing, but he describes who they are. In verse 3, the wicked are estranged from the womb. They go astray from birth, speaking lies. They are sinners from birth. They are estranged from the womb. From their first breath, they have been evil. Now, David is grieving here the, these, this particular example of human sinfulness that he sees in these men. But he also grieves. As you read in later Psalms, he also grieves that this is just an example of all sinful humanity. He's describing the doctrine of original sin. Original, listen, original sin is not the actual act that caused the human race to, to fall, but the condition of all humanity as a result of the fall and the reality uh, that every person, every person sitting here, every person that has been born has been conceived with a thoroughly corrupted nature. That's what David is recognizing here. Now, listen, if you do, if you struggle in any way with believing in the doctrine of original sin, my advice to you is have a baby. You do not have to teach that baby how to disobey. Within six months of their birth, you will be a firm believer in the doctrine of original sin. And that is what David is addressing here. And then in verse 4, he goes on to describe how vile and wicked they are, which is very similar to Paul's description of humanity in Romans 3. There is no one who is good, not even one. The venom of asp is on their lips. That's Paul's writing, and Paul has used David's metaphor in his Romans 3 writing that we see here. Like, like every unbeliever there is, there is poison on their lips. It is what James talks about in, in James 3, that there's, there's how small a tongue can, a spark can create such a vast forest fire. We know, we know the effects of gossip and slander. We know how much it can destroy. And that is what David is saying. That's on everybody's tongue. And that's on these men here. They, they are wicked from birth. They have the, the original sin, but we all do. And like every unbeliever, these men, in verse 5, um, he goes on to say, or verse 4, like the deaf adder that stops its ear so that it does not hear the voice of charmers or the cunning of the enchanter. Listen, this is every believer who has had a deaf a deafness towards God. They, they are deaf to the voice of God. Now, doesn't that seem familiar? What were you like prior to the Holy Spirit coming and opening your eyes and opening your ears to the voice of God? You know, you see in Psalm 58, not just a portrait, wicked, a portrait of wicked rulers in David's psalm. What you see here is a mirror of who you were before your conversion. That, that's what we see here in Psalm 58. It's not a portrait of, oh yeah, that's who the wicked are, and let us pray these imprecatory psalms. Oh, wait a minute. No, it's not a portrait. It's a mirror. And it's reflecting you and me. Listen, David, David never loses sight of his own sinful failings. Psalm 51 is a perfect example of that. And we must not as well. We must not lose sight. You know, 
What's interesting too, in Psalm 18, verse 23, David prays another challenging prayer, but it's not an imprecatory psalm. He says this, he says, I was blameless before him and I kept myself from my guilt. Now, how does David, who was an adulterer, who was a murderer, who disobeyed God at various points by doing a census, and how does he pray, I was blameless before him and I kept myself from my guilt? How does he pray this psalm knowing he's not innocent? How does he pray this psalm against the wicked knowing that he's wicked? These these psalms are not ultimately, it turns out, they're not ultimately our prayers. See, when you read the psalms, don't read them as your prayers. They're not your prayers. They're Christ's prayers. He's the author of these psalms. And behind these psalms, he's the one who can judge. He's the one who can curse. He is the one who can extend mercy. He is the one who can say, I am innocent. I am blameless. He is the one who can say, I am not guilty. And so when you read the Psalms, look to see this is Christ praying. We can certainly identify with the Psalms that speak of being blameless and guilt-free because we have been cleansed by the blood of Christ. And we can pray these imprecatory psalms because we are God's people who live to honor his name. But we cannot and we should not just own these psalms as though they belong to us. No, they belong to Christ. So David David gives this description of of humanity. Secondly, David pleads for God to judge sinners, verses 6 through 8. These are stunning and violent and unforgiving pleas for God's judgment against those who oppose God and his people. David's words, listen, David's words are not for the faint of heart. Oh God, break the teeth in their mouths. If you've ever broken a tooth, it's pretty painful. Oh God, you do it. One punch, one shot to the mouth, break them all. And while you're at it, Tear out their fangs. Tear out the fangs of the lion. Break the teeth and tear out. The wicked often seem strong like lions, but they are, they are literally, they're withering grass before God's consuming fire. And David recognizes that. And then, and then he goes on to say, let them vanish like water that runs away. He simply wants them to disappear. And God can do that. And then he goes on, let their arrows be blunted. And and what David is asking here is, Lord, Lord, all the the wicked schemes that they devise, all the plans they have to to harm God's people, to, to tarnish your name, to oppose you. Oh, Lord, blunt their arrows, make them Make them meaningless. They, they come to nothing. That, that whatever weapons they have, they, they just fall to the ground. They do not work. And then my favorite of the entire, let them like a snail that dissolves. Let them be like a snail that dissolves into slime. I, I mean, that's the kind where I just create my own picture in my head. And, and, and David, I mean, David pulls no punches here. May they melt away like the wicked witch of the West, is what he's saying here. Watching that slug melt under salt, David says they, they, they just are 
That's how, that's how low they are. That's how small they are. That's how powerless they are. They, God can just make them melt away. And then, and then he gets very sober here. He's, he's no longer, in a sense, fighting as he is. It, it becomes very sober. Let them, like a stillborn child who never sees the sun. Wow. How, how grievous that is. The pain of a mother and father who've had a child born and yet not be alive. That is what David is praying here, that they would never exist, that God would hold back the wicked and then he finishes with, sooner than your pots can feel the heat of thorns, whether green or ablaze, may he sweep them away. In other words, this, these pots, they're, they're, there's a fire being stirred under these pots to cook whatever is in those pots. But, but David's saying, listen, before any, there's any heat, before they can, in a sense, you know, fulfill their plans, before they get going, wipe them away, sweep them away. Let the fire never get started. Let the heat never come. Strong words and judgments that are necessary, that are necessary because of evil. And God must destroy evil. James Adams, in his commentary, said this. He said, we must understand that God's kingdom cannot come without Satan, Satan's kingdom being destroyed. God will not be done in earth without the destruction of evil. God's will will not be done in earth without the destruction of evil. Evil cannot be destroyed without the destruction of men who are permanently identified with it. Instead of being influenced by the sickly sentiment sentimentalism of the present day, Christians should realize that the glory of God demands the destruction of evil. Jesus, as the righteous judge, must pray these judgments to preserve his holiness. If you see these psalms as the prayers of Jesus, it will help, it will help deepen your understanding of the heart of Christ, his sufferings, and his victory on your behalf. Listen, God's kingdom and I'm sure you're aware of this, but God's kingdom is at war. And as subjects of that kingdom, it is right for us to pray these imprecatory psalms, to pray that God's enemies be destroyed, that those who oppose the gospel are accursed. Paul, Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians 16, he says, If anyone has no love for the Lord, let him be accursed. God's judgments, as horrific as they are, are needed, are necessary, are coming. Finally, though, David doesn't end there. Here, here we get to the climax of the psalm in verses 10 and 11. The righteous will rejoice when he sees the vengeance. He will bathe his feet in the blood of the wicked. 
David is confident that God's kingdom will one day be fully restored and that all his enemies will either be bowing before him or lying dead at his feet. Now, does this description, this description of the feet of, of Christ, who's, 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 that's who's being seen here, bathed in the blood of the wicked, disturb you? Does it? It has disturbed many throughout the church, church's history. Are you turned off by this description of feet being bathed in blood? You, know, you must understand, we must understand, how evil sin is and how holy God is to understand how righteous this description is. It's in the judgment we read about here. Remember the mirror, not the portrait. The judgment we read about here is a judgment that we deserve. All these descriptions from verses 6 through 9 are applicable to us. The wickedness we read in these verses that we deserve, they, these verses, um, that's our wickedness. And these, these wicked, these, all these wicked sins, they fell upon Christ's shoulders on the cross. These words of imprecation were spoken about him rather than us. He suffered these violent judgments reserved for us. He was, he was innocent at the incarnation, not estranged from the womb. He had never had an evil thought or word, but every word he spoke was good and pure and holy and true and life-giving and grace-filled. The enemy tried to make him a stillborn, to blot out his life, but his death was good, triumphing over evil. In Psalm 83.1, Asaph prayed, O God, do not keep silent and do not hold your peace or be still, which is exactly what the Father did to Jesus. He was silent towards Jesus. He was still toward Jesus. He did not rescue Jesus on the cross, but allowed every one of these imprecations, every one of these, these wickedness of humanity fall on his son that we might come to saving faith. The imprecatory psalms, this psalm comes to life in the death of Christ. They come to life when we read psalms like this of God's holy and righteous and terrifying judgment that we have been saved from, that we've been saved from the wrath of God. There, there is much hope in these verses. There, there can, and, the, and these last two verses, there is much hope that we can, we can see. Therefore, the righteous will rejoice when he sees the vengeance. He will bathe his feet in the blood of the wicked. Mankind will say, surely there is a, a reward for the righteous. Surely there is a God who judges on earth. There's hope. There's hope that there can actually be righteous men and women. 
that even though the doctrine of original sin is alive, alive and well, there can be men and women who are called righteous by God. Because it will not be their blood that Christ walks through that determines their final judgment, but it will be the blood of Christ covering them and forgiving them of their sin. Bonhoeffer says this, he said, whoever comes to him, whoever cleaves to him, will never more be touched by the wrath and vengeance of God. That person is in the protection of the righteousness of Christ, whoever he may be. Whoever will not come, whoever will not cast himself down before the cross of Christ, whoever despises the cross will suffer God's wrathful judgment, the vengeance of God as it came upon Christ. But not unto life, rather unto eternal death. And if anyone who is present this morning is not a believer, this this is a psalm of warning to you. This is a psalm that offers you hope to put your faith and trust in Christ, that, that you are not one who suffers under the wrath and judgment of God, but rather looks to Christ to suffer and, and experience that wrath for you, that you might be born again. And if, if that is you, if you are not sure of your spiritual state of where you are before God, if you are either, you, if you don't know where you fall in this psalm, speak to the person you came with or speak to me and let us share with you the good news of the gospel that you might come to saving faith in Christ. You know, this imprecatory psalm reminds us of how kind and gracious God has been to us because of Jesus. These are not hard psalms to read because they remind us of the mercy and grace and goodness of Christ. Rather than avoid these psalms, we should actually take great delight in them when we remember that God no longer counts our sins against us. You know, in Luke 11, Jesus' disciples asked him, teach us to pray. And he gave them what we call the Lord's Prayer. It is a prayer that includes actually imprecations and pleas and hope. When, they, when, when Jesus said, pray, let thy kingdom come, he's talking about this very last verse in 58 where God is going to come, Christ is going to come and slay his enemy and be bathed in their blood. That is what he's talking, the kingdom coming. The kingdom coming destroys the evil kingdom that exists in this world. And so, Lord, teach us to pray. Teach us to pray that we might pray that your name be upheld, that your name be honored, that your name be glorified. That is what this psalm's application brings to us, that we pray and that we pray for those who are wicked to come to saving faith and that we pray that we have the grace to understand how we are to treat our enemies. This psalm has many lessons for us. Pray that our, that our enemies who, who hate God come to a place where they can love God. Brothers and sisters, every psalm, every psalm is a psalm of Christ. And may we, when we read the psalms, yes, may we take comfort in them, may we be encouraged by them, but may we pray them with faith that we, we are praying the words of the Savior, that his kingdom will come and his will will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word, that we can pray, that we can 
find life in. And Lord, help us this morning as we study these psalms, as we understand what these psalms are about and what all the psalms are about, that we might be we might be faithful to be men and women of prayer that seek to oppose evil but bring glory to your name. Oh God, thank you for your word that gives us life. Thank you for every person here, Lord. May they, may they have a, a fruitful day today in Christ's name.